This episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by Prolific, a cohesive MTSS whole child platform that goes beyond data aggregation and supports continuous improvement. Prolific has been recognized by many trusted industry sources like Tech and Learning, EdTech Digest, and THE Journal. Centralize your data, propel student success with Prolific. You can learn more at edcuration.com. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. I've had at least 15 students who have increased more than four grade levels. He used theater as a tool to make great human beings. My expectations are high for all of them. One of the things that I really love about teaching is the fact that every day is sort of unique and different and strange. Our guest today is Dr. Chris Steinhauser, the greatly lauded and recently retired superintendent of the Long Beach Unified Public School District in California. Dr. Steinhauser started out as a teacher's assistant and ended up working in the Long Beach Unified School District for 39 years, 18 of those years as superintendent, which by the way, far exceeds the national average of four to six years for a superintendent. For those listeners who may not be familiar, Long Beach Unified School District has been in the national spotlight a lot. They were a finalist for the National Broad Award five times and named the national winner once. The Broad Award is a $1 million national prize for urban education and is the nation's largest education prize given to school districts. The annual Broad Prize honors large urban school districts that demonstrate the greatest overall performance and improvement in student achievement while reducing achievement gaps among various ethnic and socioeconomic groups of students. In addition to the Broad Prize, they were also listed in World Class Schools by McKinsey & Company and were recognized in Schools That Are Beating the Odds by the Learning Policy Institute. Educators, both nationally and internationally, have flocked to Long Beach Unified School District, eager to learn from their success, as are we, which is one of the reasons we were excited to hear that Dr. Steinhauser has written a book, Schools on the Move, Leading Coherence for Equitable Growth, co-authored with Jay Westover, published by Corwin Press with a foreword by Michael Fullen, and it releases this week, the first week of March, 2022. You heard it here, and you can find it easily through the link in the episode notes. We felt privileged to have a slice of his valuable time, and I asked Dr. Steinhauser if he would point to the top three things to which he attributes Long Beach Unified School District's success and effectiveness. Well, first, I would say for the last 30 years plus, including my predecessor, Carl Cohn, because he was superintendent for 10 years prior to my 18, um, Long Beach really put um, students first. So students uh, were first and foremost at every decision that was made in the the district. And the other one is that we've always had a um, governance team uh, with the board. We have five board members elected by geographical areas and um, the superintendent that really looked at the whole and not the parts. So so the, the system was we really focused on a system. So how can we improve this system? We actually, at the same time, were committed to continuous improvement 
and uh, really built upon what we would call the collective expertise of all the stakeholders, which included the parents, the students, the teachers, the staff, and, and the governance team. So that's interesting because I think most districts would claim to put students first. And I'm wondering if you can give us an example of a decision that really illustrates how that looks in practice. Sure, absolutely. So um, when I was um, in one of my roles in the central office as the director of special projects, uh, which was in charge of state and federal categorical programs, the superintendent at the time, Carl Cohn, had asked me and another person by the name of Chris Dominguez to chair um, our social promotion committee. Long Beach became the first state in California to implement a social promotion policy, K-8. So it was um, most districts had one on the books, but they didn't enforce it. So what we did is we included um, uh, close to 80 different stakeholders, parents, teachers, administrators, community members. And it took us about a year to um, bring a policy to the to the board. And there were board members on this committee at the same time. And we would give the board updates. And it was great because the presentation was presented by the community members, not the staff, to the board. And, and, the, and they said to the board, we want you to do this, um, but do not adopt this policy unless you're going to enforce it. And it was great because it not only was going to provide great supports to students, it was going to redirect millions of dollars. And that's just one example of what the board did whenever it brought major initiatives, it would get the input from all stakeholders, take its time. We always use the term, go slow to go fast and make sure that it, um, you had buy-in. Not, you know, you're not going to get 100% of people agreeing on everything, but you had consensus so that when we did implement the policy, that everyone knew why and, and where we were headed to. Yeah, so you've, you've mentioned Carl Cohn a couple of times and you kind of carried on and then expanded his legacy. But I think he, he kind of built the runway for a lot of the success. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. So, so during the, when Carl became superintendent, um, Long Beach was under a massive transformation. So in a 15-year period, the Navy shipyard closed, McDonnell Douglas you know, closed, became Boeing. And we lost about 50,000 jobs in about a 15-year period. Wow. And at the same time, we had major civil unrest. Rodney King happened in the early 90s. And we had major white flight. Um, and Long Beach was losing businesses because of the, um, these big companies were leaving and there's, there was nothing to replace them. So Carl and the board at the time um, said that we have to put in some major initiatives to because we know the schools are the hub of a community. So it was about academic, academics, dress, and behavior. And those were the three big buckets. And I was one of the people in charge of the academic bucket. Okay. I, I read that about him and I was really curious why those three priorities in that order? Because he said, raise standards in dress, behavior, and achievement. Correct. So yeah, so Long Beach implemented its, um, its own school standards before the state of California. Families were leaving the community because they were concerned about gang violence, they were concerned about things in school. So that's why we went to the school uniform policy. So, you know, as you well know, Long Beach was the first public school system in the nation K-8 to have a mandatory uniform policy where all students had to wear a, a uniform to school and great success because we had partners like the Assistance League that, you know, um, provided free uniforms to students and, 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 uh, um, and those who needed it. But we had, like you said, we had to raise the standards for, for um, behavior. We had to raise the standards for dress because um, and then that the whole was 
than that the businesses, new businesses would relocate here because Long Beach was going to have to rethink what it was. And so the dress, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but it's, it intrigues me. The dress impacted the behavior, which impacted the academics in kind of in that order. Talk about the impacts of the dress code. Yeah, sure. So when several schools before the mandatory dress code went into uh, effect had a voluntary uniform policy, and I was one of the schools that had the voluntary uniform policy. So my school was a very low performing school when I was assigned there and then became very high performing in a very short period of time. Because when kids dress for success, it's just like going to business. You want to do well, parents see the importance and, and you have your number one job in school is to do well. And so it was really very exciting to see the transformation. And the beauty of the voluntary program was it was uh, schools from the diverse sections of the city, from the very wealthiest schools implemented the policy to the very poor schools like mine. So and and it took away any of the um, gang uh uh, influence or gang attire that one might um, perceive was out there. Because at the time, Long Beach was having a very serious uh, gang problem. Okay. So it was, it, it kind of addressed several issues in one fell swoop, the gang issue, first of all, and then socioeconomic somewhat disparity on, uh, on some level, but then that sense of I am putting on a uniform because I have a job to do. Absolutely. My job is to do well in school and to get an education and we dress for success. And you saw that cultural shift. I love that. Huge, huge. Yeah. So as we mentioned, you're one of the longest serving superintendents in the nation. So congratulations on that. You're you've recently retired. Um, And so you've been credited with and I'm quoting on this, avoiding quick fixes while gradually narrowing gaps in achievement among student groups, the high school graduation and college going rates of African American and Latino students, for example, are higher than the statewide average and much closer to whites and Asians in students in Long Beach than in other districts. Um, I'm curious if there was one key initiative during your own tenure that you were most proud of. Well, um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of a lot. And so I would put them in three buckets. So one was early ed. Um, we focused hugely on um, early education. Um, we made it um, our charge that every student who was in poverty would have a seat in one of our early ed programs. So about 80% of our incoming kindergarten students went to one of our own preschool programs. And we had four different preschool programs. So where parents didn't have to pay. And then we had also a paid program if they chose to. And the beauty was you wouldn't know if you were in the paid program or the non-paid program because the standards were the same, the curriculum was the same, and, and so on. The other one was, is the, um, the issue of focusing on equity uh, and achievement gap closures. And so that was, you know, that's one reason for early ed. Provide as much success early on as possible and moving forward. And then the third bucket I would say would be the, um, the college and career readiness and probably the, the crown jewel that came out of that piece, to be very honest with you, which is going to last forever, is um, what we call the Long Beach College Promise. This is so exciting. I don't want anyone to miss it. So if you're only half listening while driving along in the car or making dinner, tune in. The Long Beach College Promise started out in the early 90s and was called Seamless Education. It's a partnership between Long Beach Unified School District, Long Beach City College, Cal State, the City of Long Beach, and the Port of Long Beach. 
to provide a seamless program ensuring that every student from elementary school all the way to high school has everything they need to be successful in college or career. One aspect is guaranteed admission from Cal State Long Beach, even though they turn away about 110,000 applicants every year. Also, the Long Beach City College provides the first two years of college free. This is a community who is serious about the future of its kids. The Long Beach College promise was recognized by President Obama, and it later became the America's promise. And then Governor Newsom put together, modeled after the Long Beach College promise, the California promise. So currently right now in California, any student who goes to community college directly after school is free. So it's, it was great because all these things provided such unbelievable gifts to our young people to achieve their dreams that they, they want. And everybody listening now wants to move to Long Beach, California. Um, but everybody can do it. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm smiling right now because we did this on no budget. We did this at the commitment of everybody. Put everyone's egos aside, put all your resources together, redirect resources, and provide students whatever they needed for massive dual enrollment, for career tech. Um, and um, we were later blessed to receive a $5 million grant from the state of California. Mm-hmm. But we were doing this work for 10 years on our own. So it doesn't need a lot of money to get started. It just means commitment of people who truly want to ch- uh, close equity and achievement gaps. I mean, I'm kind of brimming with questions right now. As, you, as I was listening to you talk, one of the things I was wondering is, have you created a template? Are other districts um, using your success as a guide for how to build this? And then you answered the question by saying that this has now become a statewide initiative. Do people come from around the nation to learn from what you're doing in intentional ways? Oh, absolutely. So it was not uncommon for, for Long Beach Unified to get visit on a yearly basis between 50 and 60 districts from around the world, to be very honest with you. Okay. And so it, it became um, so busy that later on in my tenure, we had to actually schedule to say that we were going to do visits only in certain months because the visits, we have a more responsibility to share uh, our success. But at the same time, every time you have you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 people come to your schools, it causes direct disruptions in, in, the, in the classrooms. Yeah. And so we really wanted to make sure. But the College Promise has been replicated um, not only in California and in uh, other districts, but throughout the nation. Okay. And you've written a book, Schools yes. on the Move. So people can certainly learn from your book. And I want to talk more about that in a minute. But I want, you've mentioned a couple times the importance of giving voice to all the stakeholders. And I want to focus on your leadership style for a minute because you are renowned for your collaborative leadership style and this idea of leading from the middle. You've said, if we're going to move schools to where we want them to be, we have to empower individuals, teams, and schools to make decisions that are best for them and their population of students. I think the um, optional dress code would probably be an example of that. You allowed schools to make their own decisions about that. Do you have an example of what you mean by lead from the middle? Sure, so Long Beach is um, also what's called a school district of choice, which means that K-12, everyone's assigned to homeschool, but they can apply to go to a different school other than their homeschool if they're accepted in that school. 
the, uh, through a lottery process. So the um, what's important is that there was one of my schools that uh, was K-5 at the time, big school, about 900 kids. And they wanted, they had a very strong multi-age program from kindergarten through fifth grade where kids would be mixed in several grade levels. These teachers were dedicated. Their, their, their results were unbelievably strong. It was about two teachers per grade level. So about 12 teachers altogether. They really wanted to move the multi-age program into middle school, okay? But they were not a middle school. So they came to me, the two founders of the program and said, do we have to become a charter school to do this. You know, we really don't want to be a charter school. We love Long Beach Unified. We don't want to leave. Is it possible that we create our own middle school multi-age program at our, our current school, which would mean that two-fifths of the school would be K-8 in a multi-age K through eighth grade middle school program. And the other kids would be in a traditional um, K-5 program. And we said, yes, the answer is yes. That program is, is still impact, uh, in, in effect today. It is one of the strongest academic programs we have in the school district. And it was developed by two dedicated teachers who started, who probably have about 20 teachers in the program today. Most districts would have said, no, you have to leave the system, go become a charter. My belief was always, we have failed if we have to have people become a charter because the system should be agile and nimble enough that if that's something that somebody wants, and it makes sense, and it's not illegal, do it. I love that you built a culture of let's try. Let's just try and see what happens. I think a lot of leaders feel a little bit hesitant when they hear about this culture of collaboration and giving stakeholders voice because it's easy to then get bogged down in meetings and dialogue because you're trying to give everybody a voice. So can you speak to administrators and curriculum directors about how to best instill that autonomy and empower teachers while still maintaining standards, benchmark structure? Absolutely. So, so what's really, really important is that the system has to have a focus. So for us, uh, we developed five-year strategic plans. Uh, every five years, about 100 people would get together, all stakeholders, and those would be the five goals that we would work on. So you had great autonomy at, at the school side on how to achieve those goals. What was non-negotiable were those targets that we set. And, I, and I'll give you some. Um, so, you know, Michael Fullen calls it tight, loose, you know, so some people call it top down, bottom up. He talks about the right drivers and the wrong drivers. So certain things in the system were going to be tight. So, for example, the goals, you know, you're going to graduate, you're going to be college and career ready. That's a non-negotiable. You're going to close the gap. That's a non-negotiable. What's negotiable is what comes up from the bottom of how to do it. So if you choose to use a different set of materials or do a different intervention program that the system's recommending, you had the autonomy to do that with great accountability because we had what we called cycles of inquiry. Uh, every nine weeks, we would visit schools, look at their data, talk about what's working, what's not working, share with best practices. And if you were not making progress, then you had to change. And so it was it was well accepted in the district that the superintendent, Chris Steinhauser, was going to give you a lot of space if you were making great progress. If you weren't making great progress, I was going to sit down with you and your team to talk about why and how we're going to to come together. When you have great inequities that are out there, 
and you're not making the progress, that's when you're going to have to be a little top down. Uh, but again, how do you how do you implement it should be involved from the bottom. Another um, component that I've read about in your leadership was to host these community forums. And I believe it was your practice to reserve a spot on the agenda called Questions for Chris. And I'm wondering how did you ensure in those community forums that this was productive practice and not just an opportunity for people to lodge their complaints? We had a superintendent's parent forum every month with about 100 parents. And um, those were televised. Uh, the one in the morning was televised and recorded so everyone could see it. And there, and both the, the evening and the day session all had uh, um, questions for Chris. But every meeting, I would go over the norms. So the norms were, you couldn't ask anything. Um, if it was a personal question, like I met at my kid's teacher because of too much homework, I, I would meet with you afterwards. Um, you had to be respectful of everyone's opinion. You may not agree with what they're saying, but you have to be an active listener. And so, um, and we were going to be non-judgmental. We were not going to judge anybody, whether, you know, what they had to say. And so the beauty was these meetings, we would bring what we were working on in the district, big educational topics, people would present them and we would go from there. And the parents really um, and, um, enjoyed them because we also empowered them to make recommendations on certain initiatives of the district. And then the other one that we did was one with the employees, which was a, a no agenda. Um, but again, um, anybody could come to it. It was called Coffees with Chris once a month. But again, it was you were not going to judge people. If you had a problem with your boss, we're going to talk about that separately. But they were about systems issues. What can the superintendent do to help the system become better? And so I believe strongly that people have to have access to the boss, uh, the CEO, on a regular daily basis without going through a bunch of gatekeepers. These practices that allowed for stakeholder voice, were they? did they actually shape you know, quote unquote policy? Absolutely. These, these forums were wonderful. So I'll, I'll give you um, some specific examples. So we had a guide in the district, which, which was called a college and career readiness guide. And every student in ninth through 12th grade got it twice a year. And it was about six or seven pages long. We actually took that guide to our students. We took that guide to our parents and had them tear it apart and said, what would you like differently? The one from... Um, from the uh, for the uh, middle school to the high school, that was completely designed by our kids first, our high school kids, and then they brought it and presented it to our parents because they were the um, you know there's two different users. There's a kid user piece of it and a parent user, and then that's when we implement it. So it, that's a great example where I actually wanted that second guide to go out a little faster than than it did because it took about an additional year because people had so many revisions, you know, so to speak. Uh, I'll give you a specific one. The kids said, because we're a school district of choice, that we needed to have an interactive map for the buses. So if, if I live at school A and I wanna go to school B, I need to know how long it's gonna take me if I have to go by public transportation. So that would, was nothing we would have ever thought of, to be honest with you. Another example of stakeholder input on important issues was the decision for Long Beach USD to spend $2.5 million to cover the AP test costs. The community voted to continue to cover those costs, all but $5 per student, just to make sure students and families kept some skin in the game. 
be honest with you, they all come up with better programs. I always felt that way about my students. I, I always would say, gosh, you guys, you have better ideas than I do. Absolutely. Chris mentioned data over and over as the starting place for improvement in Long Beach USD, because we know that you can't improve what you can't measure. So if you're looking for a top-notch tool to manage student data, look no further than today's sponsor. This is Delana Darso, Prolific Product Champion, and we are proud to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. Prolific is a student data insights platform that empowers educators with whole child information. Centralize your data and propel student success with Prolific. Learn more about Prolific at edcuration.com. I want to talk about teachers. We haven't said much about teachers. You have this very unique um, focus on teacher preparation, which includes a partnership with colleges and university and a new teacher induction program, which kind of made me drool and made me wish that I was a new teacher again and could benefit from such a supportive and nurturing kind of system. Can you unpack those two things for our listeners? Quick sidebar. The reason I said this program made me drool is because when I was going through my own teacher training, I'm going to say that a full third of my class of candidates got all the way to their student teaching and realized that they either, one, hated teaching and didn't want to do it, or two, that they were just about to graduate and felt completely unprepared. I've since spoken with teachers from districts all around the country and learned that my experience wasn't unique which indicates a very poorly designed teacher preparation program. And Long Beach is doing something about that. So Long Beach, uh, as part of our Long Beach College Promise, designed um, through stakeholder focus groups, what was working well at the university in their teacher prep program and what wasn't working. And, and we were really honest at the time, this is about 20 years ago, where we said that we were retraining the teachers that we were receiving and, and we didn't want to do that. So the, the university, um, to its credit, redesigned the program. We had multiple different types of programs where you could get um, your credential as part of the four-year program. You could get a traditional one. We had a special ed um, and regular ed credential program. So there was something for everybody. But the beauty was that these programs are all co-designed and co-taught by both individuals from the university and the best teachers in my school system. So when you are, um, and I'll use my daughter as an example, she's a teacher here. When she was going to Cal State Long Beach to getting her teacher credential, she was being taught by the best university professors and the best teachers and administrators in Long Beach Unified. So by the time she came to us, she already knew the Long Beach way and what our philosophy was. And, and then the district has 10 um, professional development schools. So where these these college students We'll take their method classes, you know, one semester, a student teach the second semester. It's sort of like a teacher residency program. Then we would hire them on and they would work in our Saturday school programs, in our tutoring programs, our summer school programs, so that we really had a great eye on who the best teachers were. So then when we did hire for the fall and we have the same thing um, for the induction. So Long Beach runs its own induction program where every new teacher gets a coach for two years. In fact, every new administrator gets a coach for two years. So if you become a principal or a vice principal, you're going to have a coach for two years because everyone needs a coach. It's all about support and it's all about 
continuous learning as a, a, a profession. That is a beautiful thing. I can't tell you when I, and this was a hundred years ago, but when I graduated from college as a new teacher, it was just kind of accepted that everybody knows that your teacher prep program doesn't really prepare you to be in the classroom and that you just kind of have to learn how to be a teacher once you're in the classroom. And this just, I mean, it honestly chokes me up a little bit to think that um, we're finally doing a better job. Well, the university has actually has a guarantee. So when they start this program, they said if any of their teachers were not satisfactory, they would actually come back and support them uh, to make sure that they were. Wait, what? The university has a guarantee? An actual guarantee. Meaning they promise that the degree they awarded you has in fact fully prepared you to be successful in your field. And if you're not, then they will continue to help you until you succeed. Has anyone ever heard of this? I am truly agog and also stunned and probably some other adjectives. So it's again, it's about this reciprocal relationship and it's about co-leading. So you, mm-hmm. you asked earlier about co-leading. It, co-leading needs to take place at all levels from, you know, the stakeholder groups in the system to the partnerships, you know, um, with higher ed to the partnerships with the community. And, and then when you do those kinds of things, you put egos aside and you yes. move that ship so much yeah. faster. So. Okay. Well, thank you. I have a question now about resources. So we've talked about a lot of things. Teachers now want to talk about resources because at Ed Curation, we're a resource marketplace. So you've said that 100% of your curriculum adoptions came through teacher recommendations, which I find astounding. I almost want to say it again, 100% of your curriculum adoptions came through teacher recommendations. And I think that most resource providers assume that teachers are not their target audience, but rather administrators and curriculum directors because they hold the purse strings. So talk about how the process of finding, assessing, procuring resources works in, um, in Long Beach. And I would also love for you to share the story of your fifth grade teacher who developed, Cy Swan, who developed the mathematics program as part of your answer. Sure. So Long Beach has historically, since I was an employee starting in 1982, had teachers were 100% behind the, the adoption of materials. So we, at that time, we would have multiple pilots going on and all these, you know, and then community members would also be brought into it. Principals would be brought into it, but the teachers would actually be about 70% of the entire upfront work. So by the time it was brought to the administrators and the community, teachers had narrowed the, the choices down to one or two programs. And in Long Beach, we always asked for a single adoption in the K-8 arena High school um, was a little different, but it was um, a single adoption because kids moved around. So the beauty is by the time it got to the board and by the time it goes to the board, to be very honest with you, is that everyone has had so much input, usually for at least a year and tried it out, looked at the data, where is it aligned? So there's never an issue of adoption. We have never had a problem ever. With our, uh, and with our adoptions. Now we've had some questions from the community, for example, around sex education and you know abstinence and all that kind of business. Um, and we've always validated um, you know, how it meets state standards and, and so on. 
And at the same time, our teachers are allowed to develop their own supplementary material. And that's where Sai Swan comes in. So Sai Swan was one of our fifth grade teachers, and he, he was um, having great success in mathematics with his fifth grade students, um, which was a low performing, high poverty school. And he was using a program that his aunt actually had designed from uh, Singapore. And so the beauty was that when once others saw that success and we took him out to support other teachers, that program actually spread very quickly in the elementary and became the, the adopted program that teachers use. After working with several districts, Sai Swan started his own company called Swan Math, which you can learn all about at edcuration.com. It's now being used in districts all across California. Getting great results because it's not only about a program, it's about a belief system and professional learning on how to help students understand mathematics. So he became a curriculum creator because of the opportunity that you created for him within the district. So would it be typical for a teacher to see a gap and find a great program that kind of um, addressed that gap and then bring it to pilot in the classroom and then propose it as a larger adoption? Was that kind of the process? Correct. So it could come from that way. It could start from a teacher to their colleagues at their school, and then their principals would share it with other folks. It could come from the teacher to our own curriculum leaders, then that would share it with the department heads. Long Beach believes strongly that when you teach the standards, there are multiple tools on how to get there. There's not one set of materials. Um, And so, but in California, there is a requirement that everyone have um, the adopted materials in their classrooms for use. So, but the beauty is our people do what they need to do to do the best job possible. And and because of the collaborative um, systems and structures that we've set up, you don't find teachers here hiding those best practices. You find teachers sharing those best practices, wanting to learn from one another, um, because we have a very robust data system from assessments, you know, teacher developed, as well as things that the systems developed. And again, it's, it's about this sharing of best practices okay. and knowledge. Did you include a lot of what we've discussed today in the book? I want to talk about your book, Schools on the Move, Leading Coherence for Equitable Growth. What is it about and who is it for? So the book is really for um, anybody in education. So it's for superintendents, it's for you know cabinet members, it's for principals, it's for teachers. And it really talks about the four drivers of effective schooling, you know, clarity of focus, collective expertise, shared leadership, and continuous improvement. And those were really the four drivers that Long Beach believes in. And so so we actually have actual case studies, um, multiple case studies from Long Beach um, uh, in the book. And then every chapter has um, tools on what you can do to implement. And there are rubrics in there. It really is an easy read and it's... um, and I'm not saying that because I'm one of the co-authors you know, um, authors of the book. I've read it now about 10 times, and um, I'm actually working with multiple school districts right now with, uh, using the rubrics from the book. And everyone has been very positive and said, wow, this is fascinating to help us on our journey for improvement. Because it's really about, if you really want to close those equity and those achievement gaps, you have to involve everybody. You have to have a plan. And you have to have a, a North Star that you're, you're, you're shooting for. But how does the system support the schools? How do the schools support the teachers? How do the teachers get support from the school system? So it's about every breaking these walls down. And it sounds like 
from what you've said that it contains a lot of the examples, case studies, like the ones you've shared on our podcast today, but also with practical steps. So you could almost use it like a workbook. Absolutely. So yes. So, so we, um, so I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens and what people think um, uh, of it. We want great feedback um, from there. A reminder to listeners that Dr. Steinhauser's book releases this week, and you can find it at Corwin Press or Amazon or Amazon Smiles if you like part of your proceeds to go to your chosen charity. And for convenience, we've provided all of those links in the episode notes. All right. I just have one final question, and it's probably a hard one. I don't know if there's really any answer, but I think um, possibly an educational leader listening to this might feel a little bit overwhelmed by the amount of rehauling and revamping that would be required in their district to implement some of these changes or to create the kind of success that you were able to create in Long Beach. What would be the starting point? here's the first thing you do? You know, we're asked that question all the time. So absolutely. People say, no, people, people said to us, well, we can't do that. You're Long Beach or um, you guys are special. And, and believe me, Long Beach is, has every problem of every urban school system in America. The difference is that we've decided to work together to, to uh, accomplish the goals. And I always tell people, Pick a problem, whatever the problem of practice is, if it's reading in third grade, if it's college and career access, whatever the, the problem is, and focus on that problem, develop a plan, evaluate it on a regular basis, like three to four times a year, make changes, involve everybody. Going back to those four buckets we talked about, clarity of focus, collective expertise, shared leadership, and continuous improvement, and go slow to go fast. Long Beach didn't do this overnight. You know, we, we had a problem going back to Carl Cohn, dress, behavior, and, and so on. And so we built upon those successes. And that's the, the model that I always say, build upon it. Don't focus on more than two things at a time. I know school systems right now, I w- I'm working with a school system. They have 20 different initiatives. It's impossible. Teachers can't do it. Parents can't do it. Administrators can't do it. Focus on the two big things. Everything will come underneath that. And just give yourself grace. And then the other one, to be really honest with you, you got to be open and honest. I don't know it all as a leader. I do not know it all. What I do know is how to support people and how we can go from there and bring the best and brightest around me to go forward um, with support. Again, the book is Schools on the Move, Leading Coherence for Equitable Growth, and you'll find links in the episode notes. You'll also find links to read more about this inspiring leader and just genuinely great human being, and you'll find more information about Long Beach Unified School District and the great work they are doing in the world. If you're looking for a first step on how to start improving outcomes in your school or district, look no further. Today's sponsor, Proliftic, will help you gather the data you need to make informed decisions about where to best focus your efforts and resources. Aaron Rulin, Executive Director of Learning and Accountability, says this about Proliftic. When we transitioned to Proliftic for our student data management platform, we knew we needed quick, on-demand training options. 
The videos, as well as the live sessions provided by the Prolific team, were integral to our successful implementation. The effectiveness of the Prolific onboarding and on-demand training options, in addition to the ease of the product itself, made for a smooth transition. Our teachers, teacher leaders, and building administrators were able to use Prolific immediately to input benchmark assessment data and produce reports. You'll find Prolific at edcuration.com. And while you're there, check out our other professional learning explorations and our Certified Ed Trustee program. You can also find all of our other podcast episodes and hear about other important topics and resources. And if you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll share it. Leave us a rating and a review and join us next week on the Ed Curation Podcast, where we're reshaping learning. Mm-hmm.